Welcome again to Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. We begin this week's show with a recent homily Father Scott preached about Michigan's Proposal 3. So hopefully, as you all know, if you're from Michigan, if you're not from Michigan, um, we have been instructed, the priests of all of Michigan have been instructed to spend all of the Sundays and the Saturday evenings, of course, um, up until the election. I keep getting this wrong. Is it November the 6th? Thank you. Um, Talking about Proposal 3. So if you come, if you don't come from this parish, and you were at Mass somewhere in Michigan last week and the priest didn't talk about it, I would encourage you to contact your bishop. Um, I have heard about um, some priests in our diocese who either didn't mention it or I was told about a priest who, at the end of Mass, he just said, and there's a thing called Proposal 3 and you've not to vote for it. That is not, as you all know, you were here last week, your parishioners here, our bishop and the bishops of Michigan have been very, very clear that the priests have to preach on this subject. In fact, to the extent where they have given out homily guides so that the priests can't have the excuse of not talking about this issue. So I'm just about to ignore the homily guide. I'm going to preach about the issue, but I'm not using what they suggested. But just so you know that there is a, an intercession for Mass that mentions Rosie Parks, that's because the, the guide, suggested guide to priests was that they use um, Rosie Parks on the bus as uh, a way of explaining what person who does. I'm going to take my own approach because I'm a maverick. So, this, all the readings are all about faith. About faith being a gift, about even in despair, and we're not sure what God's plans are, that we should have faith. And even if your, your faith is the size of a mustard seed, so even if your faith is tiny, one of the beautiful things about how the Lord speaks about faith is that he talks about faith as something which can grow as long as it's nurtured. And it can have deep roots as long as it's nurtured. So in regard to Proposal 3, which I'm going to go on and talk about, well, make plenty of references to. You have a chance, regardless of whatever you might have done in the past that didn't witness to your faith, you now have the chance to witness in the public forum to your faith. You should be grasping it with both hands. Back in the 90s, the last time that the bishops of Michigan, as I understand, asked the faithful to vote against something was some amendment, I think it was, to do with assisted suicide. And 93% of the mass-going Catholics, the estimates was that 93% of them voted against it and it was defeated. What the 7% were doing, God only knows, and if they've met God, I wouldn't like to be them. It's clear as a bell when it comes to Proposal 3 as well. So, last week, 
I talk generally about the issues and the confusing nature of it. I'm going to talk about something. I'm going to talk about two things tonight, uh, today, this morning actually. It shows what I think of. Um, I'm going to talk about two particular things that I want you to reflect on. For some of you, this will be no-brainers. For some of you, you will be confused because you will have been voting or you think that there is a case to be made for abortion. I particularly want you to pay close attention to what I say at the start. And if it's confusing to you, yesterday on the radio, I talked about the very things I'm now going to talk to you about. So you can go find my radio program. I've already had a lot of feedback from it for you to be able to listen and listen and listen again to this. So, many people who think there could be a case made for abortion do it out of a sense of compassion. The girl's been raped, mother's life, poverty. It's often motivated, not always, but it's often motivated by a compassion for the mother. The question, if you feel that, the question you have to ask yourself, and you have to ask yourself this, is what, so not when, what makes a person a person? If you're in a labour suite, and as many of you know, I've delivered babies in the past, and you're holding a newborn baby, if you then find out that the mother had been a victim of rape, would it be okay to kill that child? And if it wouldn't be okay to kill that child that you're holding in your hands, why would it have been okay 15 minutes ago, a week ago, a month ago, two months ago? What is it that makes the difference? What is a person for us, Catholics, it's actually very simple. Human life equals being a person. When the egg is, the sperm meets the egg and is fertilized, that's a human life, that's a person. That's why we celebrate the 25th of March. And in case you don't know what happens on the 25th of March, the reason why the 25th of December is the Nativity is because of what happens nine months before on the 25th of March. It's called the Annunciation. In fact, for the first couple hundred years in the church, the Nativity wasn't a big deal. The main feast was Easter and then the Annunciation. And the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and she conceived. Not a vague notion of something that's going to become a human being down the line. She conceived. She conceived the humanity of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So for us, that's very easy. Human life equals person. 
for people who would hold any position on abortion, you need to be able to explain why is that not a person and what makes me a person and not that conceived life. And you'll hear people say this, the viability. That's why we have hospitals. Some of you have possibly had heart attacks, major heart attacks. I have personally resuscitated well over three dozen people. They were dead. I did CPR and brought them back because, as you know, I was a trauma RN. I've also done it out in the street. So, was I resuscitating a person or not? Or, so if it's not that kind of viability, is it brainwaves? Does that mean then that if your loved one is in a coma and seems to be brain dead, they no longer are a person? What is it that makes a person? There's a Canadian lady who makes absolutely fantastic uh, YouTube um, videos, and she has one that's called The Magic Birth Canal. And somebody's holding this big tube that she says underneath, this is not actually a birth canal. Right, this is about this wide. And then she's got her own baby, and she goes from one side saying, not a person, not a person, not a person, not a person, Pang, a person. Let's do that again. Not a person, not a person, not a person, not a person. Bang! A person. What makes a difference? And she concludes that it's angel dust. Because what? What? Not when. What? What makes a person? Now, if you know your history, and hopefully you were all taught this in school, 160, 170 years ago, the Dred Scott Law, that said that man who escaped slavery couldn't remain a free man because he wasn't a man. He was property. And the law. And one of the ways that Ulysses Grant managed to slave, to free slaves, was because, I think it was him, declared that they were contraband, so they now belonged to him, so he was going to give them guns. But law said that African-Americans, slaves, were not people. This is not the only time this has happened. This is not a white-black thing. In, ja in Japanese, the term in Japanese for foreigner is gaiji, which actually means subhuman, because if you're not Japanese... You know anything about the Second World War and what the Japanese got up to? And that would be most of you, I think, because your relatives fought in that theatre of war. The Japanese didn't view us as human beings, so they could treat us anyway. And if you look into the way the Japanese treated the Chinese in, uh, in the Mandarin provinces, you will see that they did, invest, they did experiments on the Chinese that were way worse than what Mengele did. Because if you're not Japanese, you're not a person. You're not even human. And organisations like Planned Parenthood 
and the ACLU, bizarrely, the American Civil Liberties Union. Civil liberties for who? Who? Not for children who are in the womb, because they're not per persons. Organisations like that are making a decision that human beings are not people. They're not a person. Again, what is it that happens suddenly, magically, to make somebody a person? And you'll sometimes have people say to you, well, in the first trimester, it's only a collection of cells. Hello, look in the mirror. That's all you are. You're a big bag of water full of minerals. And that's a scientific fact. You're just a collection of cells. Some of us are a much bigger collection of cells than other people. But that's all you are. And that should show you, you're laughing most of you, that should show you how bizarre that argument is. You very rarely now hear people say that my body, my choice, because obviously, as everybody knows, medical science shows that it's a separate human that's in the womb. Now, for us, it's a separate person. So that's the what. That's something, if any of you are vague on the on abortion, then you have to go away and reflect. If you hold any position other than the one that's held by our faith, what is required for someone to be a person? That they can talk, that they can walk, that they can see. You know all of them are bogus. So what is it? Your conclusion should be, but you can make your own conclusions, should be that it's an arbitrary decision made by people for their own agenda. And that takes me to the other thing that I want to talk about. So I've got, um, actually I've got too many degrees, but I've got two philosophy degrees. I've got a, a degree in secular philosophy and I have a degree in Catholic philosophy. One of them was a nightmare. The other one was a joy. But in my secular degree in philosophy, I studied a thing called uh, jurisprudence, which I thought was really tedious and boring. I'm now going to share some with you. I, I never thought it would come in useful. And here we are. Bad law. So gen generally speaking, there are two types of bad law. And to clarify this, I'll give you some, a, a couple of examples. But generally speaking, there are two types of bad law. There is law that is too specific and law that's too vague. So, an example of too specific. Back in the late 90s, uh, over a year period, we had in Britain, it was something like uh, four, five, six attacks on children by Rottweilers, and at least a couple of the children died. So, in Parliament, a whole group of MPs got together and they passed a law called the Dangerous Species Act. And it said in this law that if, and they named some species, Rottweilers was one of them, I can't remember what the others were, um, pit bulls obviously, 
that if these dogs attacked people or attempted to attack people, the police could take them and exterminate them. Now, the reality was that all of those cases that happened that year, none of those dogs were pure breed. They were all mongrels. They might have looked like pit bulls, but they weren't actually pit bulls under this law because this law was specific. It named the breeds. That's a bad law, too specific. The counter to that would be if they passed a law saying any dog that barks at people or is aggressive towards people can be killed. Because that would, of course, mean that dogs that were protecting people, dogs that were guard dogs, would have been killed. So you have too specific, bad law, too vague, bad law. Generally speaking, the specific laws are knee-jerk laws. They're because children have been killed, usually. And um, we have quite a few of them in the UK, actually. You probably some here, I just don't know the laws of this country so well. Um, but they're usually well motivated. And they're so well motivated that sometimes they can't see the wood for the tree. Vague laws with vague terms have usually got to do with an agenda. And that's what you're all facing. This proposal, some people say it's badly written. It's not badly written. It's written with a purpose. And I know on TV, as people tell me, on TV they're saying that this is required to um, bring back Roe versus Wade. This does not bring back Roe versus Wade, only insofar it brings back access to abortion, but it's a lot more than that. In the bulletin, there's a handout. I, I picked it up in the cathedral. I was down seeing the bishop um, during the week. And um, it kind of, I think it's very good. It kind of sums up. It's not just about um, killing of people. It's also about the taking away of parental rights. This is a very strange thing. I remember Justice Scalia, about a year before he died, commenting about the, the power of the Supreme Court justices, making an observation that you didn't give up the yoke of royalty in 1776 so you could take on the, the, the yoke of people who can form laws who've got agendas. Now, I said, as I said last night, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't need any foreigner Tell me how to think and how to vote. Spoiler, Jesus wasn't American. <laughs> and I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but I'm saying what his church teaches. Don't sit and think, I'm not going to be told this by the church. When you're going to have the rights of parents ripped from you. I've looked at this. this. I actually went through reading the damn thing. Or, or I actually should say the damnable thing. Um, and I gave an example last week. So here's an example. Um, this will shock you all, but I was never dumped by any of my girlfriends. Right? I always saw the writing on the wall and I dumped them first. But 
I'm not proud of that, I'm just, no, I'm clever. Um, when you're 14, 15, 16, even older than that, because we know, sadly, that the suicide rate's gone up for some very strange things, one of them being rejection. But when you're in a relationship and you think he or she's the one and, and it splits up, most of us, if not all of us, will have at times thought, this is terrible, I can't go on, or I don't want to be with somebody else, I don't want to have children with somebody else if I can't be with him or her. Under this proposal, you could go off at the age of 14, 15 and get sterilised without discussing that with counsellors or your parents. And if you think these kind of things don't happen, open your eyes. If you lived in the Western world during COVID, you know that tens of thousands of elderly people were taken to nursing homes where they couldn't see their, their families to die. It is the blight of our times. It didn't just happen in the States. It happened in all over the Western world. They weren't treated like people. And parents and children weren't able to see the loved ones. The amount of people who I had to counsel who were watching their mothers or their fathers die and sometimes their children die and weren't allowed to touch them because the state had decided that you couldn't make that decision if you wanted to risk getting COVID in order to hold your mother's hand or your father's hand. And in my own country, this has been the case for sadly a couple of decades, schools can take girls as young as 14 to have abortions without telling their parents. And I'm not from a radical country. So that's the things I want you to take away from this. I need you to prayerfully reflect on this. What makes a person a person? It should be as simple as human life. But if it's not, you need to give that some thought about what your thinking actually is. And do you want your rights taken by vague laws? You should all know the answer to these things. You should all be clear in your heads. There is nothing, nothing good about this proposal. Nothing. There is no case to be made for voting yes for it. And even when they were doing, trying to garner signatures, the people who put this together were very clever, as we heard recently in the Gospels about the children of this world are cleverer than the children of light. Children of light are people with faith. They were very clever in hiding from people, even its name, Reproduction Freedom for All. Even that name, that sounds like, oh, all, that's great. You know, when um, in the 70s and 80s, there's a reason why news networks started saying that we were anti-choice and people were pro-choice. Because people think they should have choices. So that's why they decided they would talk about people being pro-choice. It's not pro-choice. There's only one person involved gets to make the ch a choice. 
That's not pro-choice. And of course it's not one person. Because to have that position means that you think there's a person and something else. That at some magical point becomes a person, but not when its life is being ended. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anointing with holy oil, we call our priest Father and Mary our Mother, our Easter duty. To finish our show today, we'll be sharing parts of an interview Father Scott did earlier this year with students who went to the 2022 March for Life. Even though some of the young people who attended the march might not yet be able to vote, it is for their future that we most vote with our consciences. I'd like each of you to say your names and whether or not you're a, a, a credo Catholic because I found out last week that some of the people who went on the trip and I thought it was fantastic are, uh, were not credo Catholics. So, hey, My name is Claire Campillo and I'm a credo Catholic. My name is Eddie Broad and I'm Assemblies of God. My name is Nicholas Rutkowski and I'm a credo Catholic. My name is Gabe Mayday and I am a credo Catholic. My name is Rachel Dunphy and I'm a credo Catholic. My name is Sarah David, and I am a cradle Catholic. So, I found out last week that you don't just get told there's a trip happening, get on the trip. That everybody who attends this school kind of knows that at some point when they get to becoming a, a, a junior, that they will be able to go on this trip or have the opportunity. But there's prep for that as well. There's like an essay of research you have to do, and so I'd like your insights into how much of that was new to you all, how much of, how did you feel about it, um, and then post the 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 trip, the march, um, your reflections, which I know you've you've shared in in writing, or I believe that was the case. So you're going to go with. Um, um, yeah. So. Three of us are in our junior year of high school, and your junior year in your religion class, 
um, a part of your curriculum is to write a three-part essay about um, abortion, about like, all things abortion, how it started, how it's going now, how you think it'll go. Um, you do a lot of research on what abortion is, who's involved with it, uh, how it's done, and all sorts of stuff like that. So, so how it's done, you actually go into how the procedures are carried out. Yeah, we go into surgical and chemical. We have to research, um, I think it's three different types for each. Um, we go into what uh, things they use, um, how it's done, and who does it. Okay. Edie, did you, when you're doing that research, do you look into why people have them? Um, yeah, we tend to research... Uh, like what led up to a person's choice or why they would, you know, feel obligated to um, have an abortion. And so, then also... So what kind of things did you find? Um, I think the main one that I found was um, people just not feeling ready to support a child. And so they felt that that was like their only option. And in the lead up to the march, we actually watched the movie Unplanned in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was, along with the essay, just a great lead up to the experience of the march. Okay, for, so, so for anybody who's not seen Unplanned, who wants to give a quick overview of what Unplanned's about? Um, it's the story of Abby Johnson. She was a, well, I think the clinic's youngest, uh, or the Planned Parenthood's youngest clinic. Oh, she was a rising star in Planned yeah. Parenthood. So, yes. she, so she was doing well there. Um, she had an abortion when she was younger at college and she went and worked at Planned Parenthood. I, her family and her husband um, were pro-life but they just did a lot of prayer, and after one day witnessing in an abortion, she um, helped with the ultrasound, and she witnessed an abortion happen in real time, and it kind of finally hit her, the truth of abortion, and she ended up going down to the, um, I think what was then 40, it was 40 Days for Life, the first starting out, went over to them and uh, got taken care of, and now she's a really big pro-life advocate, and she's got a great testimony, great story to just the way that these people who like work in these industries, who participate in these services, are completely brainwashed and they just don't understand. Yeah, she actually should. Well, I think she's written three books now. Hasn't yeah, she? She but has the book, the book's called before. Unplanned as well. Um, I've not seen the movie. I read the book. Uh, we organised to bring the movie to Alpina, but there were so many people that uh, myself and four other people volunteered who had read the book volunteered to give up our tickets. We filled the cinema in Al wow. Alpina. Um, That's great. And, and the, most people were very disturbed by it. I, I'm not very sure what people thought they were going to see, right? Because yeah. people actually, because it was a cinema, people bought popcorn as they were going in. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, we, we told people what they were going to see, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because of the trauma of that. Because um, when I was slightly younger than you guys um, is when Dr. Nathan Richardson brought out Scream. Or is it sometimes called the Silent Stream, yeah. which was the first movie length length film we were made watch it at school, mm -hmm. and the howls and the distress it caused people, um, because nobody knew how to warn somebody about these things. Nobody knew how to say to someone what you're going to see is going to be truly horrific. You know, you can talk about it, you can yeah. think about it. I think the point is until you witness it, you really don't understand. So, like in that movie, it's you can tell anybody that you're going to witness it and you can say it's horrendous but until you're physically there until you're actually watching it 
and going, you don't, I, personally for me it was, I didn't understand the gravity until I saw it for the first time. Like I always knew it was bad, mm -hmm. I knew it was wrong, mm -hmm. I always stood against it, but you don't really understand until you're forced to stand there and, you know, to witness it. I mean, it was horrendous. So during the research period, did, did any of you, now would be the time to, to, to share this with people because there might be people listening, did any of you have a kind of, what well, in certain circumstances it would be okay, and then the more you looked into it, you realised that this just could not be un okay under any circumstances? You know, I sometimes meet people and they say, well, if the, if the, if the child's handicapped, or mm -hmm. through rape, or um, actually, of course, I meet people who say, because of, as Edie said, because of financial reasons. Um, did any of you sort of were soft on that, if I use that expression, but then realised just how, how horrendous this was? Or did either one of you guys think, it's not really my issue? Well, I think it really is every guy's issue because every every man, whether you're Catholic or not, is called to protect their wife and protect their family. And you can't do that if you don't understand what is facing your wife. You can't understand what the, the um, challenges that are facing in our culture. You can't protect your family or your future family from that if you don't understand what it really is. So it's important for not just women, but guys and all, all men to watch this. Yeah, and I think the important part is when the argument's made that, well, men don't really have a voice. Um, it's really not a great argument because whether you like it or not, a man will be affected by the abortion regardless of it. You know, somehow he's involved. Well, yeah, <laughs> clearly. It's basic biology. It is. Right? So even if even if it's uh, artificial insemination, it's still, it's somehow still there's a man involved. Yeah. So the point is, it will. It's never just about the woman. And unfortunately, I think sometimes in culture today we have this idea that well, it's just a woman's argument. Men really don't have a place. But I think men also need to stand up. And as Nicholas was saying support and protect life because you are you're the defender of life ultimately mm -hmm. I know that um, it almost now because men have kind of backed out of the issue it makes a really big impact when they do show up um, I'm the president of the students for life and like when we have like a big male presence or we have male presence go down to our local Planned Parenthood and pray like people make comments about that people notice that because I think a lot of the time people just think it's like it's a girly issue it's babies so the girls will take care of it but having but let me ask you this Rachel so, and I've mentioned this in homilies, I have people who are over 70, predominantly women, mm -hmm. who say to me, well, I can't have children anymore, it's not my issue. Mm -hmm. I, I see, I think it's everyone's issue. I think this is, even if you like, I said it's so easy to compare abortion to slavery. It's like, even if you didn't own slaves, that was still an issue, and that's something you need to fight against because it's basic human rights. And same in here, maybe if you can't have babies or you're not you're a male or something like that, it's still your issue because it's still your generation and your future, the future leaders of the world being killed. And so it's your issue whether whether you put yourself there or not. Uh, no, I, actually, um, do any of you, you might have read about it, you, you weren't born at the time, when St. Teresa of Calcutta spoke to the UN, mm. or it might have been the, the prayer breakfast, I think it was the UN, it was a press conference, and she was asked about um, whether or not we'd ever find a cure for AIDS. Mm -hmm. And her answer touches directly to what you said. Her answer said, the person who was going to devise the cure, you might have killed in his mother's womb or her mother's womb. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't make sense to kill our own species. I, I mm -hmm. say this to people all the time. So even if you remove religion from it, it doesn't make sense 
to kill your species. No. And, uh, and any of you, particularly the ladies, because many people who listen to this will, will be more impressed by hearing young women say this, is the baby like your liver or your kidney? <laughs> I mean, no, it's a, it's a whole different set of DNA. So, is the baby like a parasite? No, it's not. Why not? Because it's not, I mean, it's in your body, but it's not your body. It's a completely different body. Like Rachel said, it's different DNA. It's, um, it has a different heartbeat. It has a different liver, a different stomach. It has all of these different things. And when women say, oh, it's my body, it's my choice, it's really not your choice. And it's, it's in your body. You're creating that life, but it's definitely not the same as your own body. What if you meet someone who holds that position and thinks that you're somehow insane because <laughs> you think that the child's not a parasite? How do you engage in that with in that conversation with them? Well, I kind of ask them. Or have you? Oh. Have you met people like that? Oh, um, back in freshman year, I actually used to take the bus from school every day and I'd ride with a bunch of uh, public school kids and they'd see my uniform and they would make comments sometimes or... I would explain what heaven is or whatever. And uh, there was one time someone made a comment about me being pro-life. I think maybe I had a button on or something like that. And uh, I explained to my brother loud enough so they could hear me. Well, you see, Adam, you don't, or I don't have four arms. I don't have four legs. This is a completely separate, you know, this is all so the other person could overhear me. And a parasite, a parasite could kill you. A parasite does not have a soul. A parasite is not, was not created by God to have purpose in the life to bring others to heaven. Of course, I didn't go this in depth, but um, uh, this child has a soul. This child will be born. This child will bring joy. And yeah, that's basically. Okay, you did bring. I ask you, what about people? But, uh, Potentially this has happened to you, it may not have, I hope it hasn't, but people that say the only reason you're pro-life is because you're mixed with crazy Catholics. Now, admittedly, we are a little bit crazy, right? Yes. We're, because we're, because we're, called, we're called to be counter-cultural, so from the world's point of view, it's one of the things that brought me back to the faith. Uh, my, my brother, my next brother up, who's a priest, I was visiting him, and he had this thing on, it was, um, nobody's ever heard of him, but his name was John Paul. He was Pope at the time, and he was talking. He was talking about how you're called to be countercultural, and my brother knew. I don't know how many times he must have played that, but he knew that that would get my get me going because I grew up during punk time, and during punk time I had long hair, when other people did. As you can see, I have no piercings or tattoos. Everybody else I knew had them because my brother knew. I guess the polite way would be. I was contrary to people, <laughs> and he knew that the thing that would get me back to church was the Pope saying that was a cool thing to be contrary. So have you encountered that, people questioning and thinking, you're only saying that because you're mixed with crazy Catholics? Um, I haven't had it to that extreme yet, but I have had my family question some of my pro-life beliefs when I um, would go home and talk about the things that I had learned from doing that segment of the essay or even when I came home from the march it was all I could talk about because it to me it was just it was just earth earth shaking what I had seen and what I had learned and so then most of them had 
um, question, they're like, well, I mean, have you always believed this strongly, or is it just now that you're going to St. Francis? And even before I'd been on the march, I had known, like, what abortion was and that it wasn't really okay, but it, was, it wasn't a firm belief. But um, after going on the march and after um, seeing those things and reading them, it's, um, it's just, it's made my belief so much more strong, so much stronger that the, um, the entire practice is wrong and it's like horrific, I guess. So, yeah, and maybe we get to the, the end, we might revisit, um, or not revisit, but maybe talk about any thoughts you have about what the, the alternatives are. Because that's important, mm-hmm. the way we offer alternatives. But um, you've given me a great chance to a segue into each one of you saying about what you thought the march would look, would be like, what it was like. But before we get into that, something that I mentioned um, recently, I was giving a talk. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a thing called the Didache. D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Right, the Didache is the oldest teaching we have that isn't scripture. So it dates from approximately AD 70 to probably AD 80. Okay? The Didache is, is Greek for the teaching of the Twelve. So in it, it tells us that you should um, pray their father three times a day. It describes what the Mass is like. And it says that people who kill babies are going to hell. <laughs> right? So I was in Manistee. I just preached a homily about it that apparently had upset someone because I was saying that babies were humans. I <laughs> know, uh, go figure that, eh? Conversations you never thought you'd have in your life. Something angry because you've said a baby's a human being, right? So I was on the steps, glad handing everybody as you do, you know, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and this man came up and he said to me, I need to point out to you that, you know, this wasn't an issue for Catholics until the 70s. And I said to him, in a moment of inspired genius, <laughs> you're right, AD 70. <laughs> and he looked at me and I said to him, the first time we have in writing, specific in write, specifically in writing, that the killing of babies is evil and wicked is from AD 74. You go home and think about that. <laughs> That's, But it's important you know that because anybody... Whatever Christian heritage people come from, whatever Christ, um, Christian denominations people are listening to us from, the Christianity has always been pro-life. You just need to read the gospel. Yeah, you yeah. can see that that that, and and part of that is uh, you might have come across this in, in your research that in the Roman Empire there were places that you could take unwanted children yeah. and just leave them. And it was left to the Romans or somebody else, uh, I mean the lions or something, or wildlife. There, there were some of those places around. And people weren't considered to be human beings until they were acknowledged by their father. Now, part of what's going on now here in the States, in some of the particularly Ivy League schools, they have been discussing things like whether or not somebody with Down syndrome is human. And whether or not the, the, op- the option to terminate should exist up until 18 months after birth. Wow. That's terrible. And the problem with these things are, because these are all things that happened in the Roman Empire, the, prob- the huge problem with these things are, as I'm sure you're all wise enough to know, once people start saying them, 
they get picked up by social media or the so-called media and, and they start to normalise it in people's heads. Yeah. And um, that's that's the battle yeah. that, that you guys have engaged in. So you're, you're full of excitement. You know, It's one of the things like, when people convert to Catholicism. They, they're very full of excitement. Um, but eventually that normalises itself. So you come back, you're, you're full of excitement, you want to share with people, and I hope you are sharing with people, and I hope they're paying attention, even if they don't kind of get it. But what now? So you, you guys were to give reflections. Um, can, anybody, can anybody share with what those reflections were? And, and then, um, what now? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to kind of copycat off what you had said when you were at the march too, Dick. Well, it must have been brilliant then. <laughs> so I'm not stepping on a copyright, but you had said that um, abortion, just psychologically, is the greatest issue the world faces because... When you kill your own people, you don't have any other issues. You know, if you don't have people, there won't be any wars. You know, if people, there won't be issues with politics. So really, no matter how you look at it, it's from a logical, unreligious perspective. This really is the most important issue we have because without it, we don't have any people. We have any issues if we don't have people. Yeah. So, you can't I be guess. an you can't be an immigrant, illegal or otherwise, if you're not alive. <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't struggle with same sex attraction if you're not alive. You can't be unemployed if you're not alive. Doesn't matter what the issues are, and and um, but one of the things that brought that home to me was I was teaching a class a few years ago to um, a Catholic group, and it just dawned on me I, I was I started writing up things issues, and I, I was talked to Mister Media about doing it in the class here, um, writing up different issues, all these different social social issues and things like that, and, and I just had abortion on it as well as one of the issues, and I asked this. Faithful cradle Catholics, you know, the kind of people that would come to adult classes to learn, learn to deepen mm-hmm. their faith. So these are good, generally speaking, these are good faithful Catholics. And I said to them, what's the most important issue on the board? And some people said, oh, immigration. Some people pointed at um, homosexuality. Some people pointed at e- economics. And then one person said, well, I, get, I, I think it might be a, a abortion, um, but I'm not sure why. And then when I said what you just said, when I said, well, none of the things mean anything sure if, if you're dead. <laughs> Everybody sat and did what you guys are all doing, nodding your heads. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> but why is it that people don't see that? Well, at least for me, I, I feel like, because I, I have cradle Catholic, Catholic school, I feel like we need to have more focus on supplying like these logical, like unreligious arguments of why things are important. Because, you know, you could be talking about the, the morality of um, abortion, but if you're not talking to a particularly moral person, perhaps they won't understand that argument. But you have to appeal to like the logical, the, the mental side of, that people are focusing on. And we have to change how we approach these issues from just being... But, but what about, we go back to one of the, the, the things that Edie brought up, she, she found out about the... Um, what if somebody says, economically, I can't support a child? Now, that's a very common one. Yeah. Right? Whether it's real or not, it's a very common one. So mm-hmm. probably the most common reason, truth be told, is it doesn't suit me. Yeah. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's the most common reason people don't go to mass. It doesn't suit me, right? Um, But where people tend to mask that is, they'll say, financially, I'm not in a position to do that. Now, I could say as a priest, in, in discussing that with someone, I can say, well, you should have thought all that before you listen, listen yeah. to something other than your brain. Before you're listening to the lust in your head, you should think about the consequences. So consequences are important, but once someone's carrying a child, there's no point in saying to them, you brought this on yourself, nobody forced this on yeah. you. But how do you say to someone who says, this is, a, well, it's economic? Mm-hmm. Anybody want to go? I mean, my go-to answer is always like adoption first. I think that's a really important thing, and I think that sometimes maybe it's it's not as favorably looked upon in the culture because of the stigma that like foster care has and things like that. But I mean, we have like a good number of people in our school who are adopted and who've had given that been given that chance um, to live and to live a happy, like healthy life. And so I think that we need to like change the stigma that's around adoption and like those kids like okay fine they're going like you know there may be difficulties but difficulties are part of life and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be given the chance to even breathe just because they're going to struggle in life because that happens to everybody okay but what about people who would say it just doesn't suit me we're in that now i can tell you that many years ago 20 years ago or something, um, when I was still an RN, which is what I was before I was a priest, having a conversation with colleagues about the the killing of handicapped people or people who were demented. And over the space of about a five-year period, that changed from people saying, yeah, that shouldn't be happened, to, oh, they're better off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is things you're going to come up against. Mm-hmm. If you've not already... Yeah. This is things you're going to come up a, 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 against. Yeah. Um, can you say, why is someone not better off? Again, I shouldn't have to say this out loud. Why are you not better off dead? <laughs> <laughs> but how can we have people, celebrities, say, I love my child so much I killed my child? Yeah. What's wrong with that? Well, I think you're depriving the world of another beautiful individual, you know, so that could have been the next person to cure AIDS. Or but this world's cancer. terrible, Gabe. This world's terrible. This world has a lot of poverty and disease and why would you want to f- put that upon a because child? we're called to change it. We're called to be the light. We're called to bring this into the world. So if we're depriving people of even entering the world, then we're taking away the ability for another person to help us save this world. There are too many people in the world. No, there's not. No, that's true. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But you know that's something people say. Yeah. Yeah. But there isn't too many people in the world. No. Uh-uh. You could bring up the fact that I believe America has the ability to feed the entire world mm-hmm. if we were given the opportunity and chance and if we dedicated our resources properly. So there's overpopulation is not a real mm-hmm. issue for abortion. It may be more of a lack of caring about these people instead of oh, yeah. a lack of too many or too many people. Mm-hmm. If we just took care of these people, then there wouldn't be issues with... So know. let me run this by you all. And I'm going to try and do this without it, without it sounding political, so I won't name the individuals. But as you know, in your lifetimes, my lifetime, the, certainly in your lifetime, there's been a slight increase in school shootings, mm-hmm. right? 
And then you see politicians who go to high schools and they're crying their eyes out because five or six people have been shot. But these very same politicians think that it's okay to kill babies in their thousands. What do you think when you see that? Or has that occurred to you? Yeah. Well, that's just, I mean, at its basis, it's hypocrite. I mean, they're being hypocrites. For one hand, to say, well, in tragic, the death of the five, six individuals, that should never happen. But at the end of the day, you can't, in one hand, say life is valid, and the next hand, say, well, we can just, at a whim, get rid of thousands. So, in this, it just, it proves to, at least to me, it proves that how can you actually trust these people? How can you decide that they're, um, anything they say is true? Because if in one, if you can ever argue and articulate the position that you should be able to kill somebody, you really don't, something's not clicking and you're firing off in the brain correctly. Excellent answer. So here's my thing, another thing for you. <laughs> you when you're discussing these things with people, so you come at it from a particular point of view. Mm-hmm. If you're discussing issues with people who are standing on quicksand, how do you get them to get on some kind of solid foundation first? I think you've because that's what you're all, you're definitely going to face face this. You're going to face people who you could turn around and and say to someone. So Claire, you could turn around to somebody and say, "Oh, my friend Fiona, she had a miscarriage," and the person say, "Oh, that's terrible. Um, um, please tell her I was asking for her." And then two weeks later, you're in the same cafe with someone and you say, um, I've got a friend, uh, Debbie, and um, she's, in, she's just lost her job and she's pregnant. She's going to have an abortion. And that same person will say to you, and good for her. Yeah. Right? So what are they anchored to? It's like you said about the hypocrisy. They don't realize they're hypocrites. How do you engage in that? You're going to have to do that if you've not already done it. I'm sure some of you have. Yeah. Any tips for people? I mean, I think the only difference between, like the example that you gave, the only difference between the baby that was aborted and the baby that was miscarried is the want yeah. from the parents or the people in their life. I mean, a baby who's miscarried say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, because the mom was expecting it and she wanted it and she was waiting for it and she loved it already. But the mom that miscarried say, oh, well, like, good for her, like, she did the right thing for her child, it's... They don't want it. It's not a real person to them, and I don't think that... I mean, it's just a split second where you want it or you don't. You could ask why in one situation death is celebrated and one in the other it's not. Saying what, yeah, like Claire said, what's what's the difference between those two children? Well, I think the other point is you need to take them off of necessarily the emotional argument and put them onto the logical one. Because and, and how do you do that with the... The want, not want, when it's as simple as that, because that's about personal appetites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you get? What is the argument to try and get someone? I think it just goes back to, it's life, regardless of you know, it's hard. I mean, I know scientists are trying to prove that it's not, but even the basics of understanding of biology, there's even like a natural. You talk about natural law. There's a natural understanding that what comes from a human is a human. You're not going to produce a giraffe or a tiger. You know what I mean? It's a legitimate human. So if you put them into the logic of it's a human, it's really hard to argue and not sound like a murderer to say, well, you know, so you can't, you can't on one hand be, you should abort for the same and say it's a human because then you're, then you're murdering, which we can't admit in society. 
Well, then you also get like question then if someone if they say like oh it's on a basis of you know how the gestation period of the embryo and that's when it becomes a human. It's you. I mean, yeah, you pinpoint down. Okay, is it a human to you when it has a heartbeat? Okay, is it human to you when it like actually like is welcomed into the world? The baby like goes to the birth canal. Is it a human? Like where do you, where do you draw the line? And then you usually. When I've had to do this, have this conversation with people, you work from their logic and you are kind and understand. You work from their language, logic, and because what they believe is illogical in nature, yes. by working backwards from their logic, they'll ultimately see the twist in what they believe. And it, I'm almost every time it's worked where that person instantly is like, "Oh my gosh, this all clicks. What I thought, what I believed." makes so much more sense in this context and not in this one. Have you ever seen the, I think she's Canadian, um, her YouTube videos, she has one that's called The Magic Birth Canal. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Have you, have you seen it? Yeah, seen it's absolutely it, yeah. fantastic. So <laughs> it has a, she has this big canal thing, right? And she says, disclaimer, not really a birth canal. Right? <laughs> somebody's, come, somebody's moving a baby. Not human, not human, not human, not human. No, not a person, not a person, not a person. Person! Let's see that again. Not a person, not a person, not a person, not a person. Person! And she said, there are many theories what bring this, this difference between personhood and non-personhood, and I personally think it's got to do with angel dust. <laughs> but she makes the point really well. All of, her, all of her, her videos, she has another video where she's got purple hair, and there's a girl with Down syndrome who has blue hair, and she talks about how blue-haired people, if they happen to escape the cull, well, you have to accept it. But it really would be better if everybody had purple hair, because <laughs> the world wants people with purple hair. I, I feel like one of the issues is is moral relativism, like how so many things in today's culture are very subjective, mm -hmm. and things that should not be subjective are subjective. Like time, like birth, like you know when you're created a human, that's time. When, how is that subjective? It's a very objective thing. So is it is it is it the matter of time? Because then is it a human when it starts? Is it a human when you're 50 years old? Do you stop being a human? If time is so subjective, then how is any of our sciences, how is math, how is any of this trustworthy if we keep making things that should be trustworthy so subjective? And we have to kind of build back this society of, yes, this is the truth, and we need to have people holding the truth accountable and, and standing up for it, not fight against this culture of subjectivity. So thank you very much, everyone. Um, we're nearly at the end of, of time. Um, uh, it's... Um, I thank you all for uh, stepping up to have your voices um, heard. Hopefully it wasn't as bad as you thought it would be. No. <laughs> no, it, was, it was very, very encouraging and insightful for me. So it will be for people who hear the program. And uh, now we'll end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Francis, pray for us. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you all, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon.